Today's reading is from Jeremiah 31, um, verse 31, and that's on page 794 of the Church Bibles. So that's Jeremiah 31, verse 31, on page 794 of the Church Bibles. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Thank you so much, Lizzie. It's lovely to see a few fresh faces um, today, unfamiliar to me, and it's a great time um, to join us, actually, if I may say so, um, because there is really hardly a more important passage in the Bible in terms of trying to understand how it all fits together. So we've got a great passage this morning. May I encourage you to keep that uh, open in front of you, and uh, before we get into it, let me lead us in prayer. The Apostle John wrote, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Father, thank you for these words of the Apostle John, spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we pray this morning that the result would be that we know you, and we know your purposes better, so that we might have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, many people's view of God tends to be one of uh, two things. Either God is a ruthless judge, uh, poised to fall upon people like a ton of bricks should they step uh, out of line. I guess... um, You're familiar that some people have that view, you recognize that. Or the other view is that God is a lenient saviour, ready to forgive everyone and everything irrespective. And you would have come across that view as well, a ruthless judge or a lenient saviour. But of course, God is neither ruthless nor lenient. He's more complex than either of those caricatures. You see, God is not a God of law or love. He is both. Now, why does this matter, perhaps more than we realize? Because God is, because God is a, a God of law and love, he relates to us based upon law and love. 
And deep down, we know that relating to God is of paramount importance. Your life, my life, is a mist that will soon vanish. I've said it before, but if, we, if we're not persuaded of that, we should just spend more time hanging around in graveyards. Honestly. And that's why we need to relate to God, because soon we are going to meet him. And as I say, God relates to us on the basis of law and love. And the Bible calls this relationship a covenant. And there's a phrase that really sums that up right the way through the Bible. It's in our passage. We, we see it there in verse 33. I will be their God and they will be my people. We'll get into that. But this passage isn't talking about covenant in general. It's talking about the new covenant. And what we're going to do is split it in half. So verses 31 and 32, and then verses 33 and 34. And the first half is about the promise of the new covenant, and the second, the new covenant promise itself. So let's get into it, the promise of the new covenant firstly. Look at verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. So right the way through the Bible, God relates to people on the basis of covenant. From Adam to Abraham, from Moses to David, from Jesus to the church to us, God is a covenant God. But what's a covenant? Well, we need to talk about this because in our culture, the concept of covenant is fast disappearing. A covenant is really a bond, a relationship between two or more parties. Those previously unconnected are joined together and united by a covenant. And it's astonishing to know which parties are joined together. Never have such unequal parties been united, never have such opposite parties been reconciled, when we consider that those parties are the Lord God, the Holy One, on the one hand, and sinful, rebellious, fallen human beings on the other hand, when we start to consider that, we begin to lose ourselves in wonder. Now, the best illustration of covenant is actually given to us in the passage, there at the foot of verse 32, marriage. God says about Israel, I was a husband to them. And true marriage, of course, is a covenant relationship which blends together both law and love. So it's not a cold contract, it shouldn't be. A marriage of convenience, we sometimes call it, where someone marries for the money or for a right to remain in the country. It's not that. Genuine love and intimacy is involved. At the same time, it's not only a relationship based on affection. In fact, the love and intimacy is intensified precisely because it is legally binding. So their marriage as intended, blending law and love, 
illustrates what a biblical covenant is. It is a relationship of security. It is a relationship of mutual trust and affection. It's a relationship where each side wholeheartedly gives themselves to the other person. That's a covenant. But here's the puzzle. The great problem that bothers every thoughtful Bible reader is that covenant with God, is our relationship with the Lord, is it conditional conditional upon our obedience or not? Is it unconditional? Now, why do I say that it's a puzzle? Well, because on the one hand, God promises. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we're told elsewhere, Deuteronomy 31, God will never leave you or forsake you. So that's love, isn't it? That's That sounds very unconditional. But then later in the same chapter in Deuteronomy, he also says of Israel, listen to this, they will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. In other words, they'll disobey. And in that day, how's God going to respond? I will become angry with them and will forsake them. Well, that sounds law. That sounds conditional. So which is it? Is the bond between God and Israel, between God and us, is it unconditional? I will never forsake you. Is it a bond of love? Or is it conditioned upon our obedience? If you don't obey me, I will forsake you. A bond based upon law. Which is it? And in case some of you who are who know your Bibles quite well, are sitting there and saying to yourself, well, it depends really what covenant you're talking about. Because if it's the covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, well, that's conditional. But the other covenants with Abraham and David and the new covenant, well, they're unconditional. Well, I want to just ask, is it really that simple? Because every covenant seems to have elements of both conditionality and unconditionality. So the Mosaic covenant also had, has God promising, as I just read a minute ago, I will not forsake you. That's love, that's unconditionality. But on the other hand, the, the covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, which is often thought to be unconditional... God doesn't just say, I'll bless you, Abraham, in Genesis 12. He starts by saying, Abraham, go, leave your your fatherland, leave your homeland, and then I'll bless you. And then later, God says in Genesis 17, I'm God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you. Do you see? Which is it? Is it law or love? Is it conditional or is it not? Now, you may not have thought of the problem this particular way, but, but if you're a believer, you, you probably wrestle with this on a daily basis. This uh, kind of law-love dichotomy, it kind of translates into your everyday. You likely have a tendency, you may well 
actually oscillate between the two. See, either your relationship with God is, is based on law or it's based upon love. It's either conditional or it's unconditional. So are you a believer who's kind of generally too strict on yourself? You're always uh, beating yourself up for not being better? Or is your tendency to be just too loose with yourself, to let yourself off the hook far too easily? Or maybe you oscillate between those, those two things. See, it's no theoretical problem. It's practical. And for the people of Jeremiah's day, it wasn't theoretical either. You see, their disobedience meant that Jeremiah said that they were going to get a thrashing at the hands of the Babylonians. They were going to be exiled to Babylon. Just as the northern kingdom had been exiled to Assyria, so the southern kingdom of Judah were going to be exiled to the Babylonians. And Jeremiah's message was, and you can do nothing about it. It's going to happen. You've broken the covenant, therefore there's going to be covenant curses. If you obey, there's going to be blessing, but you haven't. You've broken the covenant, so you're going to be cursed. You're going to be exiled. So then we might say, well, does this resolve it for us? Law wins in the end. Fundamentally, the covenant is conditional upon our obedience. Our relationship with God is fundamentally about our obedience to him. Israel don't obey, so it's curse not blessing for them, thank you and good night. Is that what it is? Except that, except that God comes back. And that's what Jeremiah 31 is. It is God coming back. You see, he says he will forsake his people, but then he comes back and brings a word of consolation for his people. He says there is going to be a new covenant. He says that love will win. Wonderfully. But it's a bit of a head-scratcher And you're asking yourself, or you should be asking yourself, well, how is that possibly going to happen? If we're covenant breakers deserving God's curse, how can love win and justice be upheld? It is a great conundrum. What is the solution? The solution is the new covenant promise. And that's what we come to secondly, the new covenant promise. Now, we've already said that the heart of a covenant relationship is expressed in that phrase in the middle of verse 33, one dotted all over the Bible, God's promise, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, how is that possible? Answer, the new covenant. Now, there was a problem with the old covenant, and uh, it's, it's not what you think. It's not that the old covenant was bad and the new covenant was good. Because the old covenant was good. See, the old covenant had law, but it also had love. There was the tabernacle as well as the Ten Commandments. Not only was there law, 
There was provision for forgiveness of sins through the sacrifices at the tabernacle. It had law and love. Here are the problems with the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was provisional. It was a temporary covenant. Whereas the New Covenant is eternal. Second problem is that the Old Covenant was ineffective, whereas the New Covenant is fully effective. And there was a third problem, and it is that the Old Covenant was breakable, whereas the New Covenant is unbreakable. So the Old Covenant, temporary, ineffective, breakable. And so God promises a better covenant, a new covenant, which will be eternal, effective, and unbreakable. How will it work? Well, for the solution, we need to look either side of that statement in verse 33 before and then afterwards. And what we find when we look is we find both law and love. So first, the new covenant has law. If you look beforehand, it says, I will write my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. What it's saying is, instead of God's law being out there written on stone tablets, it's going to be in here written on the tablets of the human heart. And what this means is that new covenant believers, by which I mean Christians, new covenant believers today are given an inner desire and they're given an inner ability to keep the law the law of Christ. And that's why verse 34 says that we no longer need teachers. You know, it's, it's, it's not saying um, we don't need teachers to explain things or um, a few of us will be out of a job. We still need teachers to explain things, but what we don't need is we don't need teachers or priests or prophets to kind of mediate that relationship with us, to sort of cajole us into obeying God. Why? Well, because we want to obey. Not always. Not perfectly. But Jesus kicked off our new covenant relationship and we await a new covenant fullness. But now, fundamentally, the desire of every Christian believer is to obey out of love. From within, that is our heart's desire. See, many people think that the newness of the new covenant is about it being individualized rather than with the nation. You can see it's still with the house of Israel and and Judah, still with God's people. But it's not primarily about it being individualized. It's about it being internalized. That's the cardinal point. So the new covenant has law, but now it is internalized. It's on the heart. Secondly, the new covenant has love. Make no mistake here, by the way. It has incredible, amazing love. At the end of verse 34, God says, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. 
there will be no need for further sacrifices in this new covenant, says God. Instead, there will be full and free and final and forever forgiveness. I will remember their sins no more. So in the new covenant, the Lord says, I will not retain one single sin, but forgive them all. The little sins, the great sins, the public sins, our secret sins, our brazen sins, as well as our frequent, repeated sins. What wonderful grace. God makes no exception, and there is no expiry date. God's forgiveness is forever. I will remember their sins no more. We can count on it. The new covenant has love. So the new covenant has law. It also has love, but the glory of the new covenant, well, it has surpassing glory. And it's this. It's in this. It is the way in which law and love are reconciled together. That's the glory. Now, when Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples, you remember what he said? He said more than one thing, but he said, this cup is, is the new covenant in my blood. And he then talked about it being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, what went through the disciples' minds at that moment? Jeremiah. They had to, to know that that is what Jesus was saying, that Jesus was saying, do you remember Jeremiah? Do you remember the new covenant? He promised a time was coming when God would create a bond, a relationship, more intimate, more binding, more transforming than the old covenant relationship. Well, well, guys, it's happening right now, says Jesus. My death is the key. My blood will bring about true forgiveness. The old covenant and all of those animal sacrifices, well, that just meant that God passed over sins. But actually, my death means that I am paying the penalty for your sins. And when you see that, it will transform you from the inside out. Later on, Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, he says that he is a minister of the new covenant. That's Jeremiah's language again. And he's saying, you know, when I preach my gospel of Christ crucified, when a person understands and trusts the love of God in Christ, then the law of Christ is written on their hearts. You see what this means? It means that in the new covenant, love and law are brought together and reconciled. That when we experience the love of Jesus, it necessarily restructures our hearts so that we want to obey Jesus. Enter covenant with the Lord and the things that we all know that we should give up, 
We want to give up. That's the point. So then what's the answer? Is the new covenant conditional or is it unconditional? Both. You see, first, our relationship with God is conditional upon human obedience. But here's the great thing. Not ours. Because God in Christ became man and he obeyed the covenant perfectly and merits all of its blessings. Jesus Christ met the conditions of the covenant for every believer. And so secondly, our relationship with God is also unconditional. Because where we have broken the covenant and merit its curses, Christ in love went to the cross and he paid for our disobedience with his own blood. So Christ not only obeyed the covenant for us, he paid for our disobedience to the covenant. Which means that Jesus Christ fulfills all of the conditions of the new covenant for us so that we might know that forgiveness and that intimate relationship with God. He has taken its curses and he has won its blessings by his obedience. And so if we put all of that together, now we see that God really meant it when he said, I will be their God and they will be my people. God is neither a ruthless judge nor a lenient saviour. He is a just judge and he is a gracious, loving saviour. So what are we supposed to do with, with all of that? That's the question. And I want to speak to those who have not yet received Jesus Christ and entered this covenant. Let me try and persuade you to do that. Think about what's being offered to those who are inside the covenant. Forgiveness of every one of your sins. Assurance that when you face God, you will not face him as your condemning judge, but as your welcoming saviour. That he will not count your sins against you on the day of judgment. But even more than that, a covenant relationship of love and security, of intimacy and knowledge of him, that you will know the one who so loved the world that he sent his son to die. On the other hand, outside the covenant, there is nothing but death and destruction and darkness and ultimately despair. Don't only think about what's being offered in the covenant, think about who is offering It's not me. I've got nothing whatsoever to offer you. The one who offers you is your God, your creator. It is God himself who offers, whose arm is mighty enough to overthrow the Egyptians and whose hand is gentle enough to lead his people out of slavery. The God who is both mighty and merciful It is this same God who says to you, come to me and I will give you rest. Allow yourself to be persuaded 
by him and to come to him. And he will never turn you away. Be reconciled to him. Let his gracious love conquer your heart. Enter this covenant. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Truly, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. See, if a friend were to ask you for kind of an objective opinion uh, on this, you would say to them, well, considering who's actually offering this uh, and what you stand to gain by receiving and what you stand to lose by refusing, well, it's a no-brainer. You'd be mad not to. See, if you refuse God, you have nothing to gain and you have everything to lose. Even those things that you, right now, you don't want to give up, things that you must give up to become a follower of Jesus Christ, well, those things will become things, you might still struggle with them, but they will become things that you want to give up because your heart will be restructured. But if you hold on to them, well, they might give you some fleeting pleasure right now. I don't deny that. But they will never satisfy you and ultimately will leave you empty. Put away every excuse. Enter the covenant with Jesus Christ. Believe in him. And now let me just speak to, to you who have already entered the covenant, who say that you have received Jesus Christ, who say that you are in covenant with God. Are you sure? Some people, you see, take great delight in Christianity as a, as a, as a topic of, of study. They love to listen to sermons, can you believe it? Teaching, reading books. But they are outside the covenant. They don't know God. There are others who think that the gospel news, Jesus dying on the cross so our sins can be forgiven, well, that is good but they're really full of doubts about it. They wouldn't dare say that the gospel is untrue, but they kind of think that it's all really just too good to be true. And they don't know God. And then there are others who are happy enough to think about these things for 25 or 30 minutes on a Sunday. But beyond that, it's just really too much effort. And they don't know God. What I'm saying is that there are plenty of people who know the truth, who say it's good, who's come every Sunday, whose lifestyle looks Christian, but lack true knowledge of God, whose heart has not been changed, or they have no affection for Jesus Christ and no desire to do what pleases him. They presume to know God, but are outside the covenant. May that not be true of any of us here Because if it is, then on that final day, we will hear the terrifying words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But if you have truly entered this new covenant, trusted in Christ, have a love for him, then law and love are united in your heart. Yes, for now, there is a struggle going on between the spirit and the flesh. But the day of perfect obedience and perfect knowledge 
is right round the corner. And so you should rejoice, and we should just delight in Christ, for he is our covenant God, and we know him. At the same time, keep looking in the gospel mirror, and as you do so, and as you see yourself united to Jesus Christ, you will be transformed increasingly. As you see his love, you will become more loving. As you see his holiness and justice, you will become more holy and more just. In sum, as you look at the glory of Jesus Christ, you will be transformed into his image. You will become like him increasingly, gradually but increasingly, with ever-increasing glory until the day you see him. See, the ultimate expression of the new covenant awaits the new creation. But at that new creation, our hopes will be fully and finally realized completely. Let me finish with how John describes this in Revelation chapter 21. He said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Let's just take a moment to reflect upon what the Lord has been saying to us this morning. And then I'll lead us in prayer. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Our Father, we thank you for the great and precious promises that we find in this passage. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought them into effect so that each one of us can know this relationship with you that you promised all those years ago. We pray that if we haven't done so already, we would enter that relationship. And if we have, and when we have, we pray that we would rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.